week. Well, we are in a series called You Are Here, and we started last week, and what we were talking about is the idea of starting where you're at right now and getting to where God wants you to be. All of us are in a place, in a relationship with God. Some of us feel very, very far away, and we think that God would not even want to be in a relationship with us. Some of us think we're real close, and maybe we're not, but... God will meet every single one of us where we are. That's what we talked about last week. That no matter where you are on your journey, God will meet you there. But the thing he's going to tell you is, follow me. Or as we talked about last week, uh, this way. We're going to go this way. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. Uh, What we're talking about this morning is how do we do that now? How do we... Is there a, what are the guidelines? How do I get better at following God? Can you do that? Is there some type of a instruction manual or something that will give me some hints on how to move forward in my relationship with God? I uh, have two people close to me uh, that are pilots. One is my nephew, Stephen, and he's studying to be a pilot. And his uh, sister is here this morning, so that's really neat. Um, but, uh, and then my other uh, friend, his name's Kevin. He's an Air Force pilot, and so he's recently retired. And so we started talking about this idea about, of flying, because I, I was going to name this series um, Soar, like, like, you know, you, like just like having a life that soars, but then I thought, you know, it might sound like sore, like I just hit my uh, thumb with a hammer, and so I, I, then I was going to have Where Are You At, but it's You Are Here. So there we go. That was just a long-winded way to get around to where I'm going, okay? But I had this conversation. What gave me this idea to have this series was was talking to my nephew, Stephen, about flying. And one of the first things he told me, because we, we were talking about when he gets his pilot's license, I said, hey, what, how much would it cost for you to just like fly me to a lake or something like that? And so he tells me it's, it's like $100. And I'm like, this is totally cool. And so I started talking to him about what it would look like to have like a backpack, have him land on a grass field. And, and then, you know, you've got a tent there. And you're just like, like you were just airdropped into this awesome place. And so I was super excited about it. I was talking to Lisa about it. And I'm like, I'm going to get a tent. And I'm going to, you know, I'm going to just get, I'm going to learn how to fish. And I'm just, it's going to be awesome. I'm going to be like Mad Mountain Mike. I'm just going to be up there rugged. I'm going to be really brawny and uh, do manly things, chop things and all, all, all that kind of stuff. And then I started realizing, wait, you have to take off and land. Like every time I visualized it, I was just in a tent. Like, I didn't realize you have to get from one place to the other. And then I started thinking, I'm in a plane, a prop plane, with like, I've changed my nephew's diapers before. And now he can fly a plane? I don't, I don't think so. And so we started talking about why it's safe and all this kind of stuff. And I, I remember the, the, one of the first things he told me was, you got to keep referencing the chart that's on your lap. You gotta keep referencing the chart that's on your lap. If you look down and the chart says there should be a lake right there, you, you better have a lake down there when you look. If, if, if the chart says when you get over this ridge, um, there'll be some railroad tracks, when you get over that ridge, there better be some railroad tracks because if not, you are going to be lost. Some of you thought dead. Well, that might be it too. I don't know. But... So you're always referencing the chart on your leg. So since he started saying that uh, on your lap, since he started saying that, I started reading more and more about these pilot error accidents because 
I'm not going, by the way, to the thing. I've, I've, I've already scratched that off my bucket list. I, I kicked the bucket all the way down the can. I am not going to get it. But, but um, I started watching, like, Harrison Ford just, you know, he, 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 he just buzzed in, like, over a, 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 an airliner, right? And he's like, what, what's that plane doing down there? Like, pilot error. If you're not paying attention as a pilot, you can die if you are not referencing that chart that's on your lap. There are other pilots, too, that will get so focused on the chart and so focused looking around, they'll hit a mountain because they're not paying attention. They're not paying attention to their surroundings. Now, I meet so many Christians (laughs) that don't pay attention to the chart that's on our lap. And they wonder why they're lost. They wonder why... They almost ran into a building. They wonder why. It's because we've stopped paying attention to the chart that's on our lap. So what my hope is this morning, I want to address a bunch of different things. I'm going to give you a little history lesson on the Bible. How did we get it? Where did it come from? Why do we believe what it says? All those things. I'm also going to address some of the things that you probably have thought of yourself or that you have friends that might have wandered away from the faith Because the Bible says some things that they don't necessarily agree with. Or the Bible says some things in a way that they wouldn't necessarily say it. Or the Bible doesn't seem to match up completely 100% with science. And so I want to address some of those things this morning. So in the process of doing that, I'm going to be saying some things that as I address those things, that you have to make sure you're paying attention to what I'm saying or you're going to miss the heart of what I'm trying to say when it comes to relating to the Bible. So let me give you a little bit of a history lesson on the Bible. Most of you know uh, all this kind of stuff. Um, But the Bible is essentially not a book, okay? Uh, Someone will say, I read the Bible from beginning to end. That's fine, except for the Bible is just 66 collected texts, So a lot of them aren't even, we call them books of the Bible, but many of them are letters. Lots of them are collections of poetry. There's um, what we call uh, apocalyptic literature in there. There's prophetic literature in there. There's wisdom literature in there. There's law in there, and there is some science in there as well. It's just a collection, 66 books by over 40 different authors spanning 2,000 years of writing. Think about that. That is incredible. Over three continents. What I have in my hand took 2,000 years to write by 40 different authors in three continents. And the last one written was about 2,000 years ago. Isn't that incredible? This is the chart that's on my lap. Uh, Many different genres. I already named them. Apocalyptic genre. These are just just how you kind of view things. Um, So poetry. You would read the Psalms a little bit different than you'd read Revelation, okay? Revelation is apocalyptic. Now, how we address the Bible is very important to what it means in our lives. In other words, if I want to run a church and I want to run it based on the book of Song of Solomon, I will get arrested, most likely, okay? (laughs) 
Like, because Song of Solomon has a specific genre. It's a, it's a love letter from Solomon to his bride. And, 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 and it's, it's supposed to match up to this love between God and his church, okay? But if I, if I like, say, you know what, I'm going to base my life on the Song of Solomon, you'd go, well, that's not really the genre for that. Does that make sense? So... We have all these different genres. Now, let me show you kind of what happened and how we got the Bible that we have, because this is so powerful, and it helps us appreciate the Bible that we have. It helps us appreciate the chart that we have on our lap, that we can base our lives based on this book, this series of texts, because of what we see. Now, I put a little timeline here. It's a... um, uh, It's a... Crude, okay, but we're going to put Jesus at 0 AD. He was born. Actually, just a little history lesson. We went from a Julian calendar to a Gregorian calendar, and so Jesus was probably born at like two years before he was actually born uh, in our calendar, Um, but we're just going to say this is it for now, okay? So he's born at 0, and he dies at 30 or 33 years old, okay? Now, when Jesus died and the church was formed, There was no New Testament. Think about that. Jesus dies, he's buried, and he raises again, and there's no New Testament. There's only the Jewish scriptures. And so this church is birthed without a chart. The the church begins to operate without a Bible, if you will. It has the Jewish scriptures that you'd go to synagogue for and all that. I mean, it was Jewish before. And so we've adopted that Old Testament. And so there was no New Testament. Now, here's the amazing thing about this. Even without a New Testament, the church flourished. It just, it just exploded. And here's the two things it exploded on. One, the reality that Jesus died, was buried, and rose from the dead. And the power of the Holy Spirit. Okay, so... You've got this church with no New Testament, no nothing. And so what happens is just great things begin to happen, and the church is flourishing. At the same time, there's incredible persecution. You'd think it would be so easy to squash the church because Jesus is gone, okay? They don't have really a, a, a document to rest their case on, and they're, and they're being persecuted like nobody's business. Now, I put in here in 70 AD the destruction of the temple, and the reason why this is important to scholars is because this is why scholars make the argument that the entire New Testament was written before 70 AD. So those people who were writing it were eyewitnesses to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And so the reason why is because that destruction of the temple was brutal. Um, Titus came down. He then became emperor after that, but he came down. There were some zealots that had kind of held up in Jerusalem, some people who wanted to overthrow Rome. This is what uh, Judas wanted to do all, all along. This is why he had Jesus killed. He wanted a hostile takeover. And so uh, this is what's happening at 70 AD. Well, it started around 66 AD. So Titus comes down, surrounds the city, and just slaughters thousands of people slaughters them. The, the, the historian Josephus says there were just piles of bodies and they'd throw a body up on the top and it would just work its way down to the bottom. Just thousands of bodies. The other thing they did is they burned the temple to the ground. It was gone. As a matter of fact, Jews today commemorate the second uh, temple destruction. 
They have a, a time of remembrance for that. Now, the reason why scholars think everything was done before that is because nobody, especially Paul, who wrote uh, the later letters, mentions anything about the destruction of the temple. But it was such a horrific thing that, that you'd, you'd, men- you'd mention it. It'd come up somewhere. And so that's, that's why they believe that. He said, now, why, why are you telling us all this? And what does this have to do with the You Are Here series? Well, number one, I love this kind of stuff, so I, you have to just bear with me. But the thing I wanted to show you was that there was no New Testament until... Uh, we get to Constantine on 312 A.D. when he, when he makes Christianity the, um, the legal religion of Rome. Now think about that. We go from Jesus being di- dying, being buried, and rising again. And then just 200 and something years later, Christianity is the religion. What in the world does that? The reality that a guy predicted his own death and resurrection and then pulled it off. And so while all this was going on, Paul begins writing his letters. And everyone begins copying these letters. Copying them, copying them, copying them. As a matter of fact, it's incredible how many documents we have that support Paul's letters, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the Gospels, all that. We've got thousands of documents. And they all point to the same thing. That Jesus died, was buried, and rose again. And so they start writing, uh, uh, copying all these things and distributing them. And then they began to compile them all together. And in uh, 312, Constantine starts to compile what we now call our Bible. And so for... Look at that. For almost 300 years, there was no Bible, and yet the church flourished. Now, how much more should we be incredibly thankful, blessed, expectant to follow the chart that's on our lap? And so, how you approach the Bible is very important. I wanted to read something Uh, to you to kind of give you an idea of uh, why it's important to understand what you're reading when you're reading it so that you can follow it. It's a poem called Flyby Spacecraft. I'd like to read to you, okay? Here it goes. Flyby Spacecraft conducted the initial reconnaissance, phase of polar system exploration. They follow a continuous solar orbit or escape trajectory, never to be captured into a planetary orbit. They must have the capability, using their instruments to observe targets they pass. Ideally, their optical instruments can pan to compensate for the target's apparent motion in the instrument's field of view. Okay? Isn't that beautiful? Okay? It's a, it's a poem. That's a little confusing, right? That's because it's actually not a poem. Uh, It's from a science journal, and here's how it's supposed to be read. Same exact wording. Flyby spacecraft conducted the initial reconnaissance phase of solar system exploration. They follow continuous solar orbit and escape trajectory, never to be captured into a planetary orbit. They must have the capability of using their instruments to observe targets they pass. Ideally, their optical instruments can pan to compensate for the target's apparent motion in the instrument's field of view. Okay. The exact same text, 
But if I don't know what I'm supposed to be reading and how I'm supposed to be reading it, I can mess up the chart. You see what I'm saying? Now, the reason I bring this up, this long-winded thing, is some of you have left the Bible because you were expecting something out of it that it was never designed to give to you. You were expecting something, and maybe you were taught that way or what have you. You were expecting to read something, or you're expecting to be told something, and it was never designed to be read that way, that, that specific way. So as you read the Psalms, you're going to read it totally different than as you read the book of Romans, which is essentially just like a theology class, or the book of Ephesians. Totally, totally different. And so what happens is you end up leaving with something to the effect of, you know what? I used to believe the Bible, but now I'm really into science, <laughs> okay? Fine. Let me show you some science. First of all, one of the things I was thinking about about the whole science argument, which I, I think is great, do you remember when they came out with the food pyramid that said you should just load up on carbs? Like, the government was telling you that. Like, the base one was just, oh, yeah, eat all the bread and chips you can. It's just, that is the foundation of a healthy diet. I remember going to school, and they pass out little pamphlets, and it's like, well, they said to eat more bread, you know, and it's like, I don't know why I'm 400 pounds, but, you know, and it's like, and here's, and here's your steak, and you're like, oh, mm, thank you very much. That was fantastic, because their, their pyramid was jacked up. Sorry, just a little rant. Let me talk to you a little bit about science. And hopefully for those of you who've left the Bible for science, I, I, I can get you to come back. This is an Argentine horn frog. Um, I actually owned one of those. His name was Alex. And uh, when Lisa and I first got married, um, we needed a pet uh, because that's what you do when you get married. And uh, so our pet was Alex, okay, the frog. And uh, he would eat little goldfish. And then as he got bigger, because come to find out, um, they grow quite large, okay? And so then you had to start feeding them mice and stuff. I, I'm digressing, but my point is this. I dissected a frog just like this in biology, okay? And, you know, you spread the poor little guy out, and you cut him open, and your teacher tells you which is the liver and what's the... You guys are already grossed out. It's just a frog, guys. Uh, so, you know, where the heart is and all that. And all of a sudden... I knew about frogs. But what do I really know about this frog? I mean, let, let, let's say I study all the science books in the world, and I get to know the Argentine horned frog like nobody's business. Explain to me how that was created, science guy. Like, like, is, like even if you take the billion, billion years approach, which is fine with me, however you want to do it, how? How, how did you get that design? Why are there little marks on his face? How did, how did the little like, leg muscles know to have th uh, like ligaments that attach onto the, their little tiny bones? Like, how does that happen? There's 4,800 species of frogs. How did that happen? Now, you might say, well, it's a literal se seven-day creation. Great. I still can't tell you how it happened. What if... God is actually smarter than we are. <laughs> Stick with me for just a little bit longer. Okay? What if he actually knows exactly how that frog was made? What if the Bible 
merely becomes this incredibly intelligent God who loves us, that this becomes the best way he knows how to communicate with our tiny walnut-sized brains. And I begin to look at the Bible in a different way. Rather than reading it to go, okay, well, what can I prove it's right or what can I prove it's wrong? I, I look at the Bible and I say, what do I know about my heavenly father? Because what happened is the Bible, and hear me, this is what I was saying, don't lose me on this. What if the Bible's job isn't to validate Jesus and the resurrection? What if Jesus and the resurrection validates our Bible? That we, that we actually had an explosion of church growth. We had life change. We had Holy Spirit-empowered people all before the New Testament came. And now the New Testament's here, and we go, okay, how do we operate in community together? Oh, I can go to Ephesians for that. I can go to Galatians for that. How did, what did Jesus do when he was uh, here on earth? How did he treat people? What did he, oh, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And that I begin to you look at my chart in community, we begin to do this together, that it doesn't become a, a, a thing I just do on my own in the morning and I just try to get all the knowledge I possibly can. See, I think the whole point of the Bible is this. God saying, trust me, trust me. Every story in the Bible that I read is about God going, trust me, trust me. Do you know, we have the Ten Commandments. Do you know when the Ten Commandments were written? 1400 B.C. Isn't that phenomenal? Do you know where the Ten Commandments are? You're going to remember this for the rest of your life, okay? Exodus 20. Do you know why? Because it's Exodus 20. There you go. I just gave you a little gift. Exodus 20. Do you know what the Ten Commandments are? God going, trust me. Like going, you don't, you don't need to lie. You're going to want to lie. You're going to want to lie to get out of something because you're going to feel like if you don't lie, you're going to be in trouble. Trust me. You don't need to lie. Just tell the truth. You, you don't need to steal. I know everybody else has it or you didn't get one or whatever. Trust me. You don't need to steal. You don't need to follow other gods. Just trust me. Those are what the Ten Commandments are. 1400 B.C. This is a gift to us. This is a gift to be able to learn about my Heavenly Father. I can learn about what He was like before 1500 BC. I can learn, I can learn about His creativity and the fact that He created everything that we see. I don't know how He did it. I don't even know how He did it fast or slow or whatever. I just know what a creative God. When I see that frog, I just go, are you out of your mind? We were watching Planet Earth last night. I'm kind of a sucker for that stuff. Uh, but Planet Earth 2, and um, there's this little glass frog, and, and it's like his job is to become invisible. Like, <laughs> how does that happen? Like, like, how does that happen? I don't, I don't even know. It, it was like incredible. And, and he's trying to kick off these hornets who are trying to take the larva and then larva flip out. I'm like, God, you are incredible. I don't know how you did it, but I know you did. And it's awesome. Let me show you some things about the Bible that I'm hoping by the time I get done this morning, you will want to go home and read it. Now, again, some of you might go like this. John, Thank you for inviting me back to the Bible um, and for the whole science thing, but um, there's, there's books in there that are just so boring. 
Like, I don't know if you've ever tried to read through the entire Bible. I'm a, I'm a pastor. I make a living teaching the Bible. I love the Bible. I love everything about the Bible. But every time I try to read through it, I get to about Exodus or Leviticus. And I'm like, can we just get the Cliff Notes version of this? Because it's just, I, you know, fine. Don't read that part. <laughs> okay? Wait until you're mature enough to read that part. But we have a collection over 2,000 years of writers who were just as smart as we are telling us about our Heavenly Father. Why wouldn't we read that? Like, who gets that? Who gets that opportunity to, to learn about Him? Listen to, listen to, this is one of my favorite verses about the Bible, very famous. Hebrews 4.12. We don't know who the author of Hebrews is. There's some speculation. It might be Paul. It might be somebody else. Um, it doesn't matter. For the word of God is alive and active. It's not just words on a page that you look and you kind of come up with some theology. And it's like, have you ever read the Bible where you're reading something and you just look and you just go, shut up. That is so good. I mean, you might not say it that way, okay? But... Where you just, it just becomes alive to you. Or you, the, the, the Holy Spirit begins to, to, uh, to teach you something about, and you, you look and you go, man, God just spoke to me. It's alive. <laughs> it's alive. No, I'm just kidding. I wasn't expecting to do that, by the way. <laughs> and active. Sharper than any double-edged sword. And then watch, what it, watch how, how the writer goes on with this. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Do you know what gets pilots in the most amount of trouble when they're flying with their chart? They start thinking they're smarter than the chart. They start thinking, well, no, that's not. And they start imposing. I was talking to my friend Kevin who said sometimes what will happen is because it's just human nature, you start to impose what you think you're going to see onto what you see. So you, you think you're going to see a lake down there and you see a river and so you just chalk it up to a lake, okay? And he said that's why you constantly have to be checking the chart with your surroundings. Chart with your surroundings. Chart with your surroundings. If you think you're smarter than the chart, you are going to end up in trouble. If you think you're smarter than the chart you're going to end up in trouble because this is God's word to us. And so it says it penetrates even dividing soul and spirit. Here's another um, great scripture. And again, just so you understand, some people feel uncomfortable that men and women in councils chose which books of the Bible to put it in there. It would be a way better story, trust me, I know, if, if like some tablets fell out of the sky or Jesus um, sent you an email or something like where you knew, oh man, once humans get involved, then there's a sense of like, well, can I really believe the Bible? Absolutely. God uses people for all sorts of things. God uses people to heal people. God uses people. All this happens in community. And so I actually like the fact that really smart people have had a long time to go over this Bible. If you have a study Bible, um, you'll see some of the discrepancies. People get nervous about the discrepancies because the argument goes like this. 
God is all-powerful. He can do anything. Why would, any, why would even one word in any Bible be wrong? If it's God and he's in control and it's his word, why would even one, one word be wrong? And some of you have left the faith because you were shown that one word was wrong and then the whole house of cards fell. It's, the Bible wasn't intended to be read that way. On the flip side, it is incredible, incredible the amount of resources we have to know what the Bible is supposed to be saying. Like I, like, I have this study Bible. I just went through it a little bit, and it was like every single little thing it'll say. In some manuscripts, it said Jesus. In some manuscripts, it said Lord Jesus. And I'm like, there goes my faith. You know, oh my gosh, you know, wow. It said Jesus, and then Lord Jesus. What, he can't even do that, right? Oh, you know, right? But it's all in there. there there's, no, there's no secret. God uses people to get his things across. Look at this. All scripture is God-breathed. Look what it's useful for. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Like, why would I not base my life on this? Why would I not take time to read it? I don't even have to read the whole thing in one sitting. For those of you who are new to the Bible, Just go to the book of John, start there, and just start reading about Jesus (laughs) and how awesome he is and what he did for you and why he did it. It's just a great place to start. This is where our whole lives rest on. This gives me the confidence to know um, how I'm supposed to be as a husband, right? That I'm not just on my own. That the Bible tells me, hey, dude, you need to lay down your life for your spouse. I'm like, rubbish. It's not completely accurate in science. I don't, I'm not going to believe any of it now. <laughs> right? No, it's God speaking to me going, this is what you got to do. Speaks to why. Speaks about relationships. Speaks about forgiveness and why I should forgive. Because God created me. God designed me. And now God's telling me what's best for me. Believe me, there are some things in here that are difficult. I totally understand. I wish there are, there was about four verses I wish were just opposite day for me, but they're not. So I got to take it for what it is. Now, one of the greatest parts about the Bible um, that I love the most is what Jesus said about it. Because again, what I want to keep going back to is the fact that the Bible, sometimes we can end up worshiping it for, for whatever reason. I mean, I'll hear people arguing over which uh, version of the Bible they have. I have people come to me all the time. Pastor, what is the greatest version of the Bible? I'm like, all of them. But read four of them, and you'll get a really good idea of what it's supposed to be saying, okay? You know, you read, we read from the message here at, at, at church, Gary did. Uh, I grew up with a New American Standard version. Now I have a new Revised Standard version and all that. They, they all say the same thing, okay? And so here's what Jesus says about the Scriptures. You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. If we lose sight... That the reason we read this is because it comes from a loving God, inspired uh, writers uh, to tell us, look, it, trust me, trust me. 
I know you're angry and bitter about what they did to you, but trust me, let it go. Forgive. Just forgive. Look, I, I gave you an example, my son Jesus on the cross. Just trust me. He says to the Israelites, I mean, the entire Old Testament is just a series of God going, you guys need to trust me. And them going, okay, finally, we'll trust you. And he goes, good. And they're like, okay, we're going to go after other gods. And he's like, stop. And off they go. And he's like, oh, you need to trust me. You know, some of the prophets are just like one big thing of like timeout speech that you'd say to your kids. You know, like, I'm warning you. I'm warning you. I'm warning you right now. This is the last time. I don't. Just put it down. No. And then all of a sudden, well, there you go. I mean, it's just prophet after prophet after prophet. What's God saying? Trust me. Trust me. That, to me, is what the Bible is all about. Being able to take it and see it for what it is and then be able to ask God, Lord, what would you have me do with this section of Scripture? See, what's interesting to me about the Bible, we want to rightly divide the word of truth. We want to do it correctly. And so everybody feels like they have a little corner of the market on how to do that. You've got Pentecostals who take more Holy Spirit stuff. You've got um, free Methodists like us who have it perfect. You've got, um, <laughs> you know, Presbyterians that, you know, are, have a Calvinist approach of God's sovereignty, you know, and, and we have all those things. But if there's just one way, if there's just one, like, why do we need the Holy Spirit to read it? Like, if it's just to get information, we wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. We'd just read it, and we'd have the, whole, the information, because the Bible is designed for life change. Dividing soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Because Jesus goes on after he says, man, you search the scriptures because you think in them they have life, but it's these very scriptures that point to me. And watch what he says after this. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. This chart that we've been given gives us the opportunity to the best extent we can understand it and follow it to have life and to have it more abundantly. That God has gifted us with this word of God, God breathed, that Jesus fulfilled. I was reading, uh, in preparing for this morning, I was reading uh, David so like all David had was the Old Testament, right? And so if we're in the New Testament, we're kind of happy because we're not doing sacrifices anymore. That's pretty good. Uh, we're, you know, we're, we don't have to, you know, stone each other if we get out of line. I like that. That's an, that's, a, that's an addition, right? And so you start to think, oh, the Old Testament is old and the New Testament. But David would go, I delight in applying your law to my life. I delight in it. This is the Old Testament he's talking about that we think is too oppressive. But David says, man, when I do what you want me to do, the way you've put it in your word, my life is a joy. I don't ever want to go back. So here's, here's, my, here's my plea for you this morning. <clears throat> Maybe for you, you're, you're, you're not a Bible reader, okay? You're, or maybe you're not a reader at all. You just read the book of John this week. And here's how I want you to read it, okay? If, it, if it's possible for you. Read it as though you're in about mm, 50 AD, okay? The temple hasn't gone away yet. The church is beginning to 
and you are getting in your hot little hands a book about Jesus. You've never met him. You just know because there's eyewitnesses and you know the stories that he predicted his own death, he died, he predicted his own resurrection, and he rose, and there's a lot of people following him, and the church is beginning to explode, and now you get to read that story. That's your assignment for this week. And you just begin when you can get some time alone to just look down and just say, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And you begin to just see what would it be like for this Jesus. Um, as Adjo comes back up, uh, my goal, and I was, Lisa will tell you, I was struggling with it um, this week, was to try to get you to think of the Bible a little different. Maybe, maybe for some of you to get you to cherish it a little more, to not take it for granted, that lots of people died getting these into our hands. Do you know the first printed Bible, the Gutenberg Bible, wasn't until 1450? 3,000 years. We, we finally got the printing press. We had 3,000 years from the Ten Commandments to when we finally put the thing in a printing press. And now it's on my phone. <laughs> Can you believe that? All the different versions are on my phone. I'm very spiritual. Okay? So my, my hope this morning is that you'll begin to reappreciate the Bible. That maybe you'll go into a section of the Bible you're not used to going into. You go into Lamentations, which is basically, you know, Proverbs is Solomon young and Lamentations is him old. Like, hey, if you do this and do this, everything's going to work out. And then Lamentations is like, ah, I've kind of seen everything. I, I don't know what to tell you. You know, that's, a, that's, that's it's just a little scholarly, uh, little scholarly thing there. But no, everyone who's read Lamentations laughed because they understand. That's what it, that's what it feels like. Read Lamentations. It's, it's, a fantastic, it's a fantastic book. So here, here's what I'd like to do. Um, Audra's going to read a poem that she uh, wrote uh, called Fly By Spacecraft. No, um, <laughs> she wrote while I was talking. Um, but he, here's the thing. During this time, uh, Audra reads a Song, a poem, and then we play a song, and uh, we fill out our connection cards. Here's what I'd love for you to do. Uh, when you fill out your connection cards, and you put in your prayer request, if you have one of those, if you want to, on the back of that card, just say, I'll read the book of John. Or maybe you're going to say, okay, you know what? You know what? I, I already have a quiet time. I'm going to I'm going to challenge myself. Just listen to the Lord while, while we're doing all this, and maybe you'll say, I'm going to I'm going to venture off and read something different. I'm going to treat it like it's a chart that God has placed and said, hey, check this out. And when you're done, I think you're going to trust me more than you do. Let me pray for us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the mystery that it is. Lord, we thank you for the way you've used so many people to get it together and to... Uh, apply it and uh, to study it and all the scholars who come from different perspectives. Lord, this is your God-inspired word to us. Lord, I pray we'd see it as such. I pray we wouldn't dismiss it. I pray we wouldn't just see it as an ancient text, but this is sacred text from you. Lord, help us to know how to apply it to our lives in an appropriate way, how to read it in the right way, Lord, so that we, at the end of the day, are closer to you 
because we know your word. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.